worshipped, so they said, the great old ones who lived ages before there were any men, and who came to the young world at least. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 27 of the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. I am Nate, lost in time and space, and tonight I am joined with... I'm the man from Lang, host of the Whisper in Darkness YouTube channel. I'm Innkeeper Vaisoden from the Twisted Tentacle Inn. Hey, it's Nathan. Uh, you can catch my stuff at Arkham Horror Images of Madness. Uh, other than that, I'm not famous like the rest of these people. And with us tonight is a very special guest in the Arkham Horror LCG community. Many have known him for his f- uh, fan-made scenario content. We have The Beard. Welcome, The Beard. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. Can always use more bearded people on the show. Yeah, and uh, The Beard, did you know you were going to be uh, a new staple replacing Vates? <laughs> well... Good thing I signed up early. I see. I see that the uh, the ragging vase hour has begun already. It seems a bit early. Never but. stopped. Never. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just real quick, I want to hold off on the main course, delicious as it is, for just a moment to talk about what people have been up to since it has been a good month and a half, two months, whatever what since we recorded. Yeah, Nate, what, uh, how are things with you? What have you been up to? Oh, geez. Well, I just finished up school for the semester, which is nice. Very nice. Congrats. Thank you. Uh, and I started an internship at a an engineering company doing motion control engineering. Much less fancy than it sounds. It sounds well, really that's fancy. awesome. Yeah. Is it like VR technology or something more industrial? Uh, it's... Basically, it's for like automation and um, like robotics and industrial design and stuff like that. So the company I work for does um, like spectrometers and stuff like that. So it's very like high precision type equipment. That's pretty neat. So I'll be designing yeah. a computer system for that. So that's awesome. Yeah. What about you guys? Uh, let's go with. Let's go up north to the. Land of the Wendigo, Man for Length. Well, we have, uh, I've been just creating content. Nate and Metastrophic have been helping me work through the reviews for the uh, Denwish Legacy box. It's been fun revisiting the cards in uh, in that particular set. And uh, nearly finished, finally, the uh, Innsmouth Conspiracy campaign. So I'm looking forward to diving into uh, Edge of the Earth at last. And I've been yes. uh, playing the hell out of a, a gym deck based around Nikosi and just been playing that through uh, Path to Carcosa, largely in standalone, just seeing how it does against the various scenarios, and it's done pretty well. My you were also saying... record is very high, so or my oh. win record is very high. So. <laughs> I was about to say, you said Not so you many losses. Been- You've been dipping your toes back into Lord of the Rings recently. Yeah, that was just today. But, you know, I enjoyed it, so maybe I'll play uh, a little more often. I see there's a whole bunch of fan-made content for that game as well now. So, Oh, I just got, yesterday, there's... I just got three of the a long extended party uh, custom-made or fan-made scenarios. And, of course, you know, I'm a big fan-made fan in general. Uh, thus this episode. But, um, yeah, no, really solid stuff. They they basically said, hey, what are some things we didn't see enough of during the game's, you know, 
major existence. And one of them was like, hey, the, uh, the Rohirrim weren't really fleshed out that well. So boom, they focused one of their expansions on that to kind of let people live the, the Rohirrim lifestyle. So mm-hmm. pretty sweet. I've been, you know, playing my way through Innsmouth. I've been pretty impressed by the scenarios for the most part. I think they've all been pretty, pretty good. I thought that the the ones in Dream Eaters were pretty solid for solo players, and I think Innsmouth is is pretty solid as well, which is nice after. Interesting. Sure. You really think the Innsmouth ones are good are balanced for solo? I haven't had an issue. Interesting. Like, with the exception of Devil Reef, my yeah. first playthrough was an absolute disaster. And then I played it again and was fine. So mm. if it's if it's rough, it's probably because of the swinginess of the location placement yeah. and having to travel around a lot more. And I think it that one has more to do with just the keys mm-hmm. because you've got random locations and random keys. And if the keys aren't in the right spot, then you're double you're backtracking, and that's really not good for solo because it's. You're just burning up actions. Yeah, but I found hey, that, found the other scenarios pretty pretty good so far. So we'll see how it ends. Hmm. Sorry, sorry to talk over you, Vase. How about yourself? What have you been up to? Oh man, I've I've been busy doing a bunch of other things. So I've been kind of taking a step aside from creating content. I haven't made a video in like two months. I haven't had a chance to play Arkham since we finished Edge of the Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nate and I, yeah, it's been it's been crazy. Life has kind of taken taken a front and center. Uh, I mean, sometimes it has to, right? Yeah, I guess it does. Um, but I have been playing other games, so I've been playing D and D, as everyone knows, uh, and it's been really fun. There's this campaign, Odyssey of the Dragon Lords. It was written by like the people that made ba- the Baldur's Gate video games. It is really awesome. It's inspired by Greek, ancient Greece, and Greek mythology. And so I've been diving into like ancient Greek myths and there's some really cool and crazy stuff that the ancient Greeks came up with. Uh, So it's been really neat to kind of dive deeper and kind of teach myself a little bit more about ancient Greek mythology and stuff. But other than that, I haven't really had a chance to really sit down and get some proper Arkham. And I, I have been meaning to play Edge of the Earth solo to see how my experience with Edge of the Earth varies from solo versus playing with you know with Nate and see how our playthrough compares to the to a solo play, but I just haven't had the chance to sit down and, and get it going. And I have the box. I want to play like with real cards. Now I've got the office set up in my apartment and I have the space to to set up a game and just leave it there overnight because I have a whole section dedicated to card games. And I just haven't been able to crack it open. Maybe, maybe in the coming month or two, we'll see. I guess. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping yeah. for too. Especially when it gets warm. At least in my house, the basement mm-hmm. is where I keep all my cards, and the mm-hmm. basement's nice and cool. So I'm hoping that this summer gives me an excuse to get off the computer and go downstairs in the basement and actually touch my cards for once. Oh God, yeah. I mean, I, I, I hope. So, but I also hope not because last year's summer was crazy. My computer just had like overheating issues because we were, we don't have central air here. And it was, we hit it like 116 degrees. Oh, um, I remember that. Yeah. 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 And yeah, people didn't believe me, but it legitimately was that hot. Like we had stuff in the, in the pantry that literally melted 
<laughs> because of the because of the excessive heat. It was just out of control then. But yeah, you so can, like, I poach eggs at that temperature. Seriously. So I I kind of hope a similar thing. Like it forces me to actually crack cards open. But at the same time, I hope it doesn't get quite that bad this year. Ditto. What about you, Nathan? Um, I have been playing a lot of Arkham. I found a small group of people that play every Tuesday, and we always play two games. So every Tuesday, I've been getting two games in. We've been doing the, uh, we did the Dream Eaters, and now we're doing uh, a run of Edge of the Earth, or yeah, Edge of the Earth. But we're doing, check this out, Jim Culver, Patrice Hathaway, and Marie Lambeau, and we're calling it, um, Jazz on Ice, or The Lost Musicians, uh, which is a ton of fun. Uh, I'm absolutely loving my Jim deck, but then again, he's my favorite character. One of the people in my group doesn't like Jim, says he's underpowered, so that's why I'm playing a deck to show him wrong. And like every once in a while when I save his bacon, I make him like beg for it a little bit, you know, because he threw Jim under the bus. Um, so I've been doing that, and I've uh, been getting a ton of board games, Return to the Dark Tower, Arc Nova, Etc. Etc. So many board games. I play probably two to three days a week. Two other things, though, I want to mention real quick. One is if anyone doesn't know about uh, the whatever the cost campaign, uh, it's just one scenario printed by Fantasy Flight a month. You can find it on the main group, Arkham Horror the Card Game. You can find it on my group, uh, the Arkham Horror Card Game Society of Lighthouse Keepers, which is kind of a philanthropic positive group. There's going to be more charity stuff coming up this summer. I've already got it commissioned. Uh, and you can also find it on the Arkham Horror True Solo group. Uh, but simply put, just key into those. You get to play a scenario a month. And I'm, I've got prizes from Momo Monster Co., Arbitz Tokens, LCG, Buy the Same Token, Daydream Gaming. I mean, tons of free stuff and door prizes I'm giving away. And I'm having people write stories. I'm having people do music. Michael Height, I think is how you say the name. Brian David Sandberg. So tons of fun. Check it out. But then the other thing I want to mention is a very quick tangent from Arkham and gaming. But I have enjoyed it so much. Does anyone here know Dungeon Crawler Carl by Matt Dineman? No. Mm -mm. Highly recommend it to anybody that listens to this podcast and all of my friends. It is such an awesome, like... It, it makes life so much better just by listening to the... I, I listen to it on Audible because it's got a bunch of voices and uh, they do such a good job, but the books are great too. Simply put, to keep it short, it's kind of a Ready Player One with, with more humor. One person who survived a planetary takeover, almost like from um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, but he's you know doing boss battles and going through dungeon levels to try and like survive, but he's with a sentient cat who only talks in all caps. So I'm sure it would read funny, but listening to this cat yell at him uh, constantly to do things, and it's just incredible. He gets loot boxes. He's got to figure out how to get past the level. It's almost like it's got elements of Westworld in there, Terry Pratchett. Uh, it's incredible. It's so good. I listen to it now every day. And there's easily 80 to 100 hours worth of Audible available to just sit back, relax, and enjoy. But can't recommend it high enough. Dungeon Crawler Carl, check it out. 
why uh why is the beard on today well we figured well, we'd uh on me. <laughs> <laughs> and with that with that very long uh, uh sidetrack the beard our featured guest who should be talking more than all of us i didn't want to interrupt doing... oh you're fine <laughs> how have you been doing this uh fine spring oh doing just fine I have plenty of irons in the fire, and I like to jump between them just because it keeps it fresh. Is that a fun way of saying ADHD like all of us have? Or <laughs> Yeah, but it's not medicated. Hey, hey yo. Yeah. Uh, when you say several irons in the fire, uh, anything you want to share? Uh, sure. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that I have to constantly improve on because I think there's the Cyclopean Foundations and Arkham Incidents which are both projects of mine that have already been released, but I'm still tuning up based on feedback from people. And I have one project that I'm just about to finish. I have to do my own testing. It's a um, four-part uh, campaign because a lot of people were asking for shorter campaigns too, based on the 90s Jumanji movie. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. You posted things in our Discord server about it. Oh, that's awesome. A little bit. And I also <laughs> have gotten into the habit of releasing one kind of uh, horror-themed scenario every October, so that's already being worked on and Headless tested Horseman right now. One, right? What's that? Headless Horseman was one, right? Yep, Legend of Sleepy Hollow was the first one I did, and then last year I did Fall of the House of Usher. Ah. Uh, so we're going to get into this more, but like you have the Alice in Wonderland scenario... Was it Arkham in Wonderland? Is that the name? I just called the campaign Alice in Wonderland. Arkham in Wonderland is scenario one. Okay. Alice in Wonderland, which is eight adventures long, scenarios long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Cyclopean campaign, which is also eight. Yep. War of the Worlds. How long is that? That was just three, but that was the first oh, project I ever it, did. So uh, it's kind of a warm up. <laughs> listeners out there, only three scenarios fan made by this guy who says he's one person and not many people in a room. Uh, the Headless Horseman, Fall of the House of Usher. You've got stuff coming out. Like, my question to you I've done one, Face has done one. Uh, I don't know how you do all of <laughs> I don't know how you keep coming out with it. And I've talked to people that have played them. And they love them. So you clearly need to be signed on at FFG, or I need to win the lottery and support you as just my sole content creator, and we'll get it published out there in the galaxy. But tell us just a tiny bit about your process, what you do when you think about it, how you can make an entire campaign. Well, it really varies depending on what the campaign is. For some of it, like Alice in Wonderland, it was just... I'd love to adapt this to Arkham Horror. What can I do with it? What? How can I make it interesting? How can I make it fun? And well, that can that can vary because people have very highly polarized opinions about stuff like the Tea Party. But <laughs> a lot of it is just an, a creative outlet for me. It's just a lot of fun to figure out how to best adapt things to make the flavor fit perfectly. The Beard, how did you first get into designing fan made scenarios? Uh, it's hard to say. I, I was got, I got into the game because of my real life friend who's also named Tyler, actually. That's a name. <laughs> yeah, no relation. He got me into the game. I thought the mechanics were really cool. Everything was really flavorful. And I've technically been an Arkham fan for 
most of my life, I'd say, because I was introduced to Arkham Horror 2nd Edition when I was in high school still. It was just kind of the first set of properties where the, the story was baked into the game really this much, and it really fascinated me. And when I started playing the LCG, I thought it was... A, a great continuation of it and I, I don't know i just felt like it would be cool to make some stuff for it and play through some constant um custom scenarios and just kind of snowballed from there what uh what was one of your first custom scenarios that you played like uh first ones that i made or the first ones i played first ones you played first ones i played i think the first one i played from someone else was axolotl's dark matter which is very good yep I've heard that's that's right now one of the hottest fan maids in the world, and someone in Europe made like a special order to have them like uh, professionally printed, and a bunch of people went in on it, and like they're posting all the time. Yeah, it's it's very expertly made. He's got a real talent for design too. And you guys should have him on the show too at some point. I mean, all right. <laughs> I mean, I like easy content. That's fair. <laughs> I'm really glad that it's like it's not just a couple people. There's a ton of people really making custom content, and yeah, it encourages me, and I'm sure it encourages them too to keep making and keep producing. Just because I know it's keeping the ball rolling. It's it's a big experience together in a weird way. Yeah, you know, and uh, of course, when Lord of the Rings came out, one of the first people to make. Custom content for that was MJ Newman herself. And of course, look at that snowballed into becoming the, the head of Arkham Horror, the card game. I played Blood Spilled in Salem, which is great. I love the Grand Oak Hotel, aka Amnesia Hotel. Uh, my favorite, for whatever reason, is Against the Windigo, done by VinQuest yep. out of France. And of course, all your stuff, of course, uh, I'm a fan of, which is why I was. Happy to have you on the show. Um, so much good stuff. Does anybody else, Man from Lang or, or Vase, have any that you've played? Yeah, Vase and I have played through half of Alice in Wonderland so far. I've played Sleepy Hollow. I've played I've played Dark Matter. I've played, uh, goodness. We're trying to set up a four-player Cyclopean Foundations, but we've been waiting for, for Vase's life to get in order before starting that. I feel like there's another one that we played, Vase, that I'm missing. Well, we did play against the Wendigo. I think you also played Grand Oak with me. I'm not oh, sure. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I played um, the one that's um, that's similar to Color Out of Space. Maybe it is called Color Out of Space. It is. But, color, yeah, Color Out of Space. Yeah, that one, I think I played it with you and someone from the Discord. Mastrophic, maybe? Um, Network. Network 57 played with oh, us. Oh, did we play um, that back in the bar? It yeah over at your old your old job yep, <laughs> yep. uh and uh, also Nate Nate's scenario was really good rats in, was it rats in the walls oh yeah yeah the Exum Priory yeah Exum Priory oh, that was yeah. pretty good I I really actually enjoyed that um yeah so and then I I've tried my hand at making a few I've made the Iron Maiden one and then I had a, a trilogy so a three part scenario but I never finished the third part. And um, it was it was going to be a little bit different. It was going to involve like fungal infestation, which I thought was a little bit different. But yeah, room for growth. (laughs) 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 But yeah, so lots lots of cool fan maids out there for sure. Have you played much? I believe I have only played one fan made scenario. 
which was against the Wendigo with, with you, Nathan. At the uh, Beneath the Waves event. Yeah. So I think you had mentioned this earlier, the beard, but uh, what are what are some current projects that you're working on that you that you wish to share? Well, um, I'm just about to finish the four part campaign based on the '90s Jubanji movie with Robin Williams. Oh, so good. And yes, Robin Williams will be appearing. Yes, I know he, I know he would approve. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> But uh, other than that, I have the the October scenario that I'm working on. I want to make sure that's all completely 100% done so people can print and play at the start of October just for thematic stuff. And I'm actually starting on my next full eight-part campaign, which is going to be Color Out of Space combined with Wizard of Oz. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> We also need someone to do Hellraiser. I want to play a campaign with Hellraiser. Ooh, damn, that sounds good. The Phantasm would be a good one too. Yeah. Why not both? <laughs> There's always room for more content. Oh my god! So that would only put you at let's see, eight 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 twenty four twenty eight. Only making thirty scenarios. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of lazy. The beard. I mean, yeah, no, I've been dropping low. Just <laughs> resting on my laurels recently. Oh, man. I, I don't know why uh, FFG hasn't scooped yet and been like, hey, we're going to independently contract with you. I mean, at least you could be, do a, a standalone like Nicholas Scott Corey, who is awesome, part of Myth, uh, Mythos Busters, did the uh, Murder at the Excelsior. They should get an official The Beard and MJ or, or someone else uh, standalone. I'm going to... I'm going to plant a seed in MJ's ear. We'll see if we can't uh, make something happen. That'd be great. I have applied to work for them before, but um, it's the industry experience, I'm assuming, that I don't have that's holding me back there. Well, I mean, MJ started off doing a few fan maids and applied for a job. So, I mean, you just never know. But uh, it still regardless could of what happens, regardless of what happens, you are... Such a huge pillar in the fan made community and Arkham community, and uh, yeah, no, it's just you're you're absolutely incredible. Thank you. And on the bright side, if I never do get hired by them, I can at least make as much fan content as I want without any restrictions. So, of all the scenarios you've made, what scenarios or campaigns are you most proud of? That's a very difficult question. There, there's a lot of single things I like from different scenarios and campaigns that I don't know if anyone is stronger than the others. Like for, for the Wonderland one, I'm very proud of how the Cheshire Cat works over the course of the campaign. It's just an extra element of chaos. Um, I like the whole campaign structure where you can go forward or backward through Wonderland, depending if you go down the rabbit hole or through the looking glass. But then other things like Cyclopean Foundations, I was like my, um, my closest to an official fantasy flight uh, campaign because it's based solely on Call of Cthulhu, just an original story I came up with involved with Cthulhu and all that. And it was just kind of um, almost my most creative point. And there's a lot of scenarios in that, like Across Dreadful Waters, which is also a fan favorite of that campaign. And I have, I have lots of different small favorite things I have in the standalones I've made. It's it's really hard to pinpoint any single one. Yeah, I can imagine that would be that would be tough because you you have like your own perception of how you feel scenarios are going to go. And then once you release them out into the wild, they're completely different 
to you know different groups of people. What, okay. So so what are some what are some scenarios you you thought would initially go over well, but then you ended up kind of having to like retweak because of some glaring issue or something <laughs> like that that you you didn't see in the initial design. Well, let me say right away is that ninety percent of the time that a scenario is outright broken, it's been Luke Robinson's fault. <laughs> and that guy. That sounds about right. But there, there's some. It's just um, a lot of players like more traditional Arkham, and I throw some kind of puzzly elements in there, like the tea party that some people really enjoy and some people outright despise. It's just, it's nothing particularly wrong with the concept. It's more just what people like when they play Arkham. So there's been a lot of scenarios that I thought would be, I don't know, like kind of received okay, but they've either been loved and hated or they actually have been just kind of okay. It's really hard to gauge perception sometimes. Yeah, I can imagine that can be that could be difficult. So, so what are like what are some ways that you you attempt to sort of like balance your scenarios around differing playstyles and player counts? Because I can imagine that could be very difficult. It's one of the hardest things I'd say I have to do because I have a specific way that I like to play Arkham. But when I design a scenario, I have to make sure it's accounting for people that play playstyles I don't enjoy or just have different approaches to the game altogether, like. There, there are some people that like the, the slow and steady, get all your assets out and get working, and there are others that are hit the ground, finish the the first act in three rounds, and have to make sure it's balanced for both people to actually complete the game in a reasonable amount of time. So with that said, you mentioned styles, right? That you have a different, or, or your own way that you like to play and others have other ways that you like to play, that they like to play. So with that said, clearly... Almost everybody who's designed scenarios has taken inspiration from some of the official scenarios. What are some of the scenarios that are official scenarios that kind of blew your mind and or or kind of gave you aha moments for your own designs where you're like, oh, yeah, you can do that. Or, wow, that's a really cool mechanic. I wonder how I can tweak it or maybe something similar. Uh, let's see. I think I can put all of Carcosa into that basket because it wasn't until I finished Carcosa before I really started getting going on homebrew stuff. Because pretty much after every single scenario that I played for the first time, it was just like, wow, that's allowed? They can do that? <laughs> so, so a lot of that. And then other mechanics they threw in in different campaigns, like um, the, the haunted mechanic in Circle Undone. I, I've only used it once, just in Sleepy Hollow, but it, it was a nice addition just to kind of see what I could do with just another another factor that can complicate things i'm trying to think if there's any big scenarios that really uh open my eyes like um the search for kadath is a big one that was a huge sweeping adventure condensed into one scenario and i kind of had my own take on that with across dreadful waters i know there's there's so much this game encompasses it's hard to say that like any one scenario influenced it when that single element can be found in like a half dozen or more. I mean, yeah. that's super true. I think I think everyone feels that everyone who plays and loves this game feels that way about you know the game as a whole. Like every scenario can be so different from the previous. It's just mind blowing the things that they can do with a with what would be considered a simple card game. You know, um, and even between official stuff, there's so much of it that feels different. Like you play Forgotten Age and you play Circle and Done, they feel like entirely different games. Yeah, so true. Super true. Um, how do you normally play? Do you normally play uh, solo or multiplayer, two-player? 
What's your normal means of playing? I usually play three player because I have two friends online, uh, Daniel and Spencer, who uh, have grown to love the game just as much as I have. And they have thankfully been my guinea pigs for all of my home brews. <laughs> <laughs> and they put up with it as best they can because I know I ask a lot of them. Yeah, it's pretty awesome to have someone that can that can give you feedback and honest feedback too. I feel like strangers when they when they play test scenarios, a lot of times they're scared to like hurt your feelings about certain or giving you too much negative feedback or things that need to be fixed. You know, <laughs> but yeah. Like, your Luckily, friends I'm, I'm friends with them on a, at the point where we can say. No, this is total BS. This needs to be changed right now, and we're not continuing until you make a quick adjustment. It's <laughs> <laughs> going <and> strike. <laughs> yep. What can I do? It's two to one. But that actually brings up an interesting point. Feedback is very difficult to get, especially really detailed feedback that helps you improve rather than, I liked it, good job, no changes made, or it sucks, destroy the whole thing. Uh, shout out to pretty much everybody who is making content in the Arkham community because I've found that I get the best feedback from people who are making content of their own because they know the design process and they, they're basically giving the the feedback that they would love to get. Yeah, that's a good yep, point. Where they got hung up and stuff. Yeah, because there's, there's a ton of content out there and a lot of it gets overlooked. I mean... I'm really thankful that mine is popular, but there's there's a ton of people making quality stuff that really deserves more play. Such as shameless plug I'm, moment. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's a huge amount. There's um, Dr. Jack Science who made Call of the Plague Bearer. There's Jack Strassey who made Betrayal at the Mountains of Madness, which is a completely different take on the Antarctica stuff. There's um, Olivia Juliet, who made Ages Unwound, which is a really cool time travel one involving a Forgamon, which is kind of somewhat mentioned in Dunwich, but never expanded on. I haven't seen that one. Where can I find that one? Uh, I think she has a page for it on the Mysterious Chanting blog that Axolotl set up. Oh, okay. And... You can, you can find links to a lot of different content creators there, and I'm not sure if you can send a link to your viewers or something, but uh, Axolotl set it up as basically uh, a Fantasy Flight-type blog where we can make release articles for our stuff just to kind of give people an idea of what it is and links to download it if it's not in the official mod yet. Yeah, links links for all that stuff will be in the show notes of the episode if you're curious. Yeah, there, there's a ton of creative stuff, and there's stuff that's still being worked on right now that has a ton of promise. Like, um, there's like a Celtic Rising one that throws in a bunch of Celtic mythology into Arkham, and I'm trying to remember the name of the guy who's making that. I'll have to look hmm. that up real quick. So we've, we've talked about, like, taking mechanics from the original game and taking inspiration from, from that, but I'm curious how... Uh, like how how do you integrate story into your scenario mechanics? Uh, I will answer that, but I found the name of the guy who made Celtic Rising <laughs> QGG one. Uh, just for for posterity before we blow past that. But a lot of the reason why I like adapting stuff like Alice in Wonderland, War of the Worlds, all that, is because th there are a lot of cool stories that I have read and enjoyed when I was growing up. And then they get the Hollywood treatment and it falls completely flat because they have their own ideas of what they want to put into a movie or script writers that have unrelated scripts that just kind of mash together because this is the way they can get their script out there. And that's that's not what I want. I want the actual book adapted for people to enjoy. So that, that's why I adapt a lot of material because I don't think 
you'd ever really get a fair shot otherwise. So would you say that you take like a more top-down approach or do you do you go bottom up? Like do you take the material and try to like derive mechanics from the stories or do you come up with mechanics and then say, "Oh, like this would be this would be a good fit for for this." Or is it kind of a mixture of the two? It is a mixture. Like for when I before I started work on Jumanji, I had the concept for a, a single scenario at first where it's I want to build the encounter deck as you play. And somewhere in my head that connected to Jumanji and eventually it blossomed into a campaign rather than a single scenario. But other times I will look at the the, the source material. I usually read the whole thing if it's a book before I start doing anything campaign related. And I'll see what the most important parts are and what, what uh, mechanics in Arkham that could represent it. So for, for Alice in Wonderland, I kind of had to narrow down what the important parts were and which ones deserve to be full scenarios. And once I decided what those were, I had to figure out what happened in each scenario, what fit the characters most, what fit the overall story most, and kind of go from there. chances zero is a correct answer if that is the answer you might do like a scooby-doo uh campaign just asking <laughs> i would say the chance is zero not because i'm not interested but because there's somebody already working on that oh well there you go i, I we just played uh scooby-doo characters for the whatever the cost campaign had a blast we even made up since there wasn't a mystic we did uh, Vincent Van Gogh. So fun. <laughs> that, that's awesome. That's uh, uh, what the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, is that it? Basically, yeah. Oh, so good. Takes me back. Blast. Oh, yeah, um, I think Kodab is the guy working on the Scooby-Doo stuff. It's It's been a while because he's been so busy, but I have seen him making progress on that from time to time. Oh, cool. That's really cool. I appreciate that. Shout out to friend and patron of the show, Codab. So, you know, another thing that we, we were actually talking about this a couple of days ago uh, for something totally unrelated. But the the idea of creating scenario reward cards for your standalones, I, I found it interesting how you you had mentioned something about how you don't like to make weapons as scenario rewards because you find that a reward like that isn't as interesting or as more like likely to be used in a, in a player's deck, just kind of given how the game is structured. It, it applies to a few kinds of cards like allies as well, but it mostly applies to, to weapons because anybody who's going to be getting weapons already has a few in mind as like the core of their deck. And I could probably figure out one that's interesting to play or pretty powerful, but, People might as well just buy Holy Spear or Lightning Gun. It made me curious, like how, like how do you go about thinking about a reward that's both interesting and and powerful, but at the same time, like feels feels unique to the scenario? Do you do you take like another top down approach for that? Do you do you kind of come up with a card and then go from there, or it really is kind of random. Sometimes I will just come up with a basic idea of as a reward card from a scenario of this kind, what would you expect? 
and then from there figure out exactly what what hasn't been done but would still be useful to players like what what would fit into a deck without disrupting a deck i guess that was the best way to put it because i know a lot of people who play when when they have the option to add a card they just won't because it'll throw off the the tempo that they have for their deck already so i tried to come up with something that'll be interesting enough for people to throw in and actually have a a, a space in their in their assets to to use and be useful while while still being something that other normal cards can't provide or other side scenarios yeah because that that's always been a criticism i've had with side scenarios is that it it feels hard to justify their inclusion in campaign sometimes you know like the whole reason that you would in theory play one of those is ideally for the reward that you get out of it whether it be experience or or you know whatever unique asset you get out of it and if it if it's like you said just another weapon then you can easily just sort of skip the skip the hassle and go to do something else but um, right because you can you can either buy and buy a decent weapon for two experience or you can spend that two experience to play a side story and hope to win and then hope the reward is good yeah or you know you know and that's coming at the risk of potentially taking trauma or not getting any experience out of it so or if you play something like blob just outright ending there yeah so do you how do you feel about like catch-up mechanics i guess is what i'm leading to in your scenarios do you do you feel that arkham is a punishing game in that you you've kind of designed things to help the players out or do you do you kind of lean into the the blood and core of the game (laughs) uh i think despite making homebrew that only dedicated players will play a lot of what i make is kind of aimed at more casual players because i want somebody who may not be as experienced to be able to play through and enjoy the whole campaign that I've made. And it it is a challenge sometimes. I think most of the times that I've done rebalancing, I've actually had to toughen things up because a lot of experienced players will play the game and they know all the best interactions of cards. And even if they don't know a campaign perfectly, they know generally what to expect from an encounter deck and how to deal with it. Whereas a casual player might just go straight in and hope for the best. So I have to make sure campaign will let those players at least get reasonably far. Doesn't guarantee a win, but they can still have a chance at it without the experienced players just breezing through and getting bored by the end. Yeah. Especially is because of all the XP cards like um, in the thick of it that just lets you start with experience or other stuff that lets you earn experience over the course of the game like Delve Too Deep. And I can test all I like and kind of make something balanced around like say you should have between 15 and 20 experience at this point so it's balanced for that then somebody who's had karen's elbow from the start goes in with 30 experience and doesn't have a challenge yeah like at what point at what point do you sort of just like throw your hands up and go like well this is you know this is going to be like the best that i can do with it still kind of maintaining the integrity of the of my initial design A lot of the times I just kind of have to accept that the people who are really good at the game and are going to have a much easier time 
They're right that my stuff could be harder because a lot of the time it is on the easier side, but a lot of the time they just should be playing on hard instead of standard. There was somebody I was talking to who uh, was saying they love dark matter. They just absolutely love it. It's easy, but they don't care, and they still have a good time with it. But like you said, on a harder mode, you know, it's not hard to do. Yeah, it's a hard thing to balance, and a lot of designers even have their own approach to whether whether winning is more fun than the challenge or vice versa, because among players, that's hugely divisive. They only have fun when they win, or do they have fun when they come close but not quite get it? That's that's a really good question. Uh, real quick, in 10 seconds or less, tell us uh, if you like to have a good time or like to win, starting with Man from Lang. I like to win. Vase. I like to have a good time. I think even if you lose, if the story, oh, you said 10 seconds or less. Um, <laughs> if you die hey. in a really cool way, it's fun sometimes for me, at least. Okay. That's exactly the response I'd expect from a father. <laughs> <laughs> Emotional damage. <laughs> I knew that was coming. I like felt it on the air tonight. No Phil Collins uh, reference intended. Oh, you bastard. Hey. I like to have fun. And by having fun, I mean, I like to win because winning okay. is fun. Uh, Father Mateo aside, I don't care if I win or lose ever. I really don't at all. I'm here for the story and for the friendship and the good times. And that is oftentimes what I find in uh, most of the scenarios in the fan made. So. so we have cool. like earth, water, wind, and then Nathan brings it up with the heart. Oh, shut your whore mouth. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. All right. Excellent. You know, just for a minute, I wanted to broach a couple topics that came up recently. While we have Tyler on the show, because I really want to hear his input, too. We don't have to spend a long time on this, but uh, there was a, and I'm not going to say who it was, but it was a pretty big uh, review channel. It reviews a lot of games. They don't review just Arkham. So several games. When they talked about Arkham, they both liked it. But they said for the cons, they said two things. They said, number one, the insta-fail token is too punishing and totally ruins the game. Because they might have a turn where they commit three or four cards and it's a really big test. Insta-fail token, they can't restabilize. They might as well scoop, Okay. Number two, the other thing they said is they're playing an eight-part campaign. They get a little bit of experience. They get one or two cards. Those cards oftentimes they say are not powerful enough to make a difference, and they might not even draw them. So their argument was that the cards should be more powerful to make up for that, especially if you get a card four to five scenarios in an eight-part cam- uh, eight campaign. So just for a minute, I wanted to address that because I think that would be interesting, especially to hear Tyler's uh, response as well. But for the first one, insta-fail. What's what's people's general view on the insta-fail? Does it ruin the game? Is there a reason to have it in the bag? What are your thoughts? Uh, Personally, I think it's probably the only thing that keeps me honest in a game because I've gotten to the point where I can pretty much game the bag most of the time. So when I do fail, it's usually an auto fail on tests that I care about. Not all tests, of course, but the ones I the, the ones I care about, I usually commit enough or or do whatever it takes in order to pass. And 
So the only way I'm failing is the auto fail. I don't really like it simply because I don't think it, I feel like I, if I'm playing well and I'm playing smart and I'm making good plays, I want to be rewarded for that. I want to be rewarded for playing smart. And I feel like the auto fails just kind of like it doesn't do that. And you just draw it and you're like, well, there's nothing I could do about it. Barring, you know, there are there are cards that can deal with the auto fail, but they're so few and far between that most of the time they're not a factor. So I find it I find it frustrating. I understand why it's there, but I also find it frustrating because it I'm playing well and then I'll just pull an auto fail and it's like, well, nothing I could do about it. It's just RNG. Start again. Uh, Vase, I'm going to skip you for now. Nate, what do you think? (laughs) Rude. (laughs) Well, I think I kind of sit somewhere in a similar position that Man from Lang does. I I know that it's a necessary component of the bag because, as Man from Lang said, it keeps the players honest. You know, you need to have a way to ensure that the players can't just steamroll your scenarios, and the autofail is certainly a way to do that. But I don't think it's the most elegant approach they could have taken. But that's neither here nor there. But I think as as the game stands now, it's a necessary evil. Mm, I like that. Vase, we're going to skip you for a minute. Uh, the beard. I do kind of agree that it is a necessary evil because players are good enough these days. Most players can avoid failing if they really structure their decks around it. Like they can make sure that they're two up, three up, four up on every single test. And if there wasn't that auto fail, that chance of failure, no matter what in the bag, then there'd be no point of taking the test. You could say, all right, I pass this. I just spend these cards. I pass this. So it's, if there's no risk of failure, then there's no game really for there to be a game whatsoever. There has to be that auto fail. Now I wish there was a way to make it so that the the cast bag is more of a bell curve than a straight line because you're just as likely to pull it as any other token. Unfortunately, just because the way the game works, I don't think it's possible. Okay, Vase, uh, my apologies for skipping you. I'm going to also go to myself first. Um, so I think I agree. I mean, everything that's been said is is a good point. I think the instant fail, other than those reasons mentioned, adds the flavor of a horror story to the game. Because just like the stump monster from Flash Gordon, and I've said it before, when you stick your hand down in that stump, you don't know if it's going to come out with that weird bluey green thing that means you got to get killed by the Baron, right? You don't know when you put your hand in the bag if you're going to fail. Like, there is that tiny bit of apprehension, just like there should be in a story about cosmic horror, where you don't know what's in the shadow, you don't know where the cult is. You don't know who Zoe's killing in some alley somewhere, you know. <laughs> I think that that also adds a flavor to the to the game. But it does, like you said, if the worst you could do is negative four and you make sure you're four above, then it takes away the game. It's like Doom God mode, right? So, all good points. Uh, Vase, I'm sorry, did you want to say something? or? <laughs> so, uh, I, I disagree, or, or at least I don't dislike it. You know, but I do agree with what pretty much all of you have said, where it's kind of a necessary thing. Uh, since I come from more of a role playing game background, it's very common in most role playing games to have an auto fail mechanic. So if you compare it to like Dungeons and Dragons, if you're rolling an attack roll, if you roll a one, it doesn't matter what your bonus is, what you're attacking against. Oh, you're good gonna, point. You're going to miss automatically. Like <clears throat> role playing games in general, 
come with that autofill mechanic for a reason. It's like what Nate was saying. You need to keep the players in check and you need to make sure you don't steamroll the entire scenario. The autofill kind of makes you think twice about overcommitting cards. So if you're taking a test, you're like, well, maybe I should save this card in case I fail that skill test. I'll at least have a chance the other way around. It also is, I think, attractive for some people who like to do the math and they like to figure out their statistical chance of success. And okay, if I commit here this amount, then the chances of me pulling the autofill, I have, you know, X percentage chance to succeed in this test. That said, I agree also with Nate that it is not the most elegant way to do it. I think that there is a, there is an element of it where unlike say a game like Dungeons and Dragons or other role-playing games, you can just attack again, right? With the same bonus in this game, you cannot do that in this game. You are thinking twice about overcommitting because if you've blown your load, basically you're you need to retake that test, and now you have nothing that you can do to boost your numbers to a level where you you're going to feel comfortable taking that test. So I think the difference between this game and say role playing games is in most role playing games you have a set bonus when you're taking the particular test, and yes, you have a chance to auto fail, but if you fail you do have a chance to take the test again, usually, right? But in this game, if you do take that test again, your chances of success are a lot lower. So it is not the most elegant way to do it. I think they tried to copy a mechanic because it is a co-op game. They did try to copy the mechanic from like role-playing games, rolling that natural one or whatever, but it wasn't implemented fully in a way that would be more clean for a game like Arkham. It doesn't translate 100% from role-playing game to a game like Arkham because it is slightly different than a role-playing game. Yeah. No, those uh, those were all great points. Going over to the other concept that when you get a card and add it to your deck, it oftentimes is not, quote-unquote, powerful enough to make a difference, and you might not see it. What do we think about that? Tyler, let's start with you this time, a.k.a. The Beard. Uh, I think... That can be true. It it really depends on the campaign because the the guy who complained about that, if he was kind of just starting into Arkham or just playing it to to learn it, chances are he played Dunwicher Carcosa, and honestly, both of those are kind of stingy on campaign on experience. So I can see him saying in a campaign like that, yeah, you only got four experience from a scenario. You can only add one or two cards, but they've kind of ramped that up over the course of the game's lifespan. So. These days, when you add cards, you're going to get more cards. You're going to get better cards. And it's going to make more of a difference just because of the way they change the experience economy. So I think in earlier campaigns, that is kind of a worry. But in more recent campaigns, you don't really have to worry about your XP going to waste because odds are you will see the cards. Uh, man from Lane. We've talked a little bit about this during our, our reviews of, of some of the cards in the Dunwich Legacy, and I tend to favor lower XP cards because you get more of them, and so you're seeing their impact on your deck more than you do if you, say, save up your experience for the big, just picking an example from the Dunwich Legacy, the lightning gun. If you buy one lightning gun and stick it in your deck... I don't think it's going to be as impactful, say, if you spent that bunch of experience on uh, buying more cards. So I can certainly see why they would feel that the that the cards don't make a huge impact. But I think it's I mean, it's based over six or eight scenarios. So 
you're making incremental progress over those scenarios. And, you know, I, I think if you, when I play something like, say, if I play Dunwich and then I switch to Dream Eaters, where you can easily earn 10, 11, 12 experience points in the first scenario. And then I often find that harder to deal with than say one or, you know, earning five experience points. Cause then I've got to sit down and be like, okay, well, I've got all of this experience points. What am I going to change? How am I going to tweak the deck? But I mean, they're giving you that much experience points because it's a shorter campaign and they need you to be your deck to be at a certain point by scenario four. So, and, and I guess I'm, I'm sort of used to it as a predominantly solo player because i think solo players earn less experience than people who predominantly play multiplayer simply because you don't have the time to go off and and get those victory point locations or kill those victory point enemies quite as often if they come your way sure i'll i'll kill them or you know gather the clues but i'm not going out of my way to do that so i often end up with less experience points so i have to be very mindful of spending that experience as well as i can which so i tend to favor one two three experience point cards rather than four or five so i can certainly see if you're going after the big flashy four and five xp cards you're going to end up with fewer cards in your deck and it's going to feel like they're not pulling their weight i feel like these people have never seen secret cards before like what (laughs) 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 have you read secret cards before they they draw you cards and then you can see your cards. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I can understand that argument honestly. Like I, th- I think we were even talking about that earlier today with something like the gold pocket watch, where like you were saying, man, from like you you sit on your experience for two or three scenarios to buy one big flashy card and then you never see it because your deck isn't very well equipped to either draw it or search for it. And you kind of just hope you see it. And that's never really good enough in Arkham. I also find that Arkham is a game that you need to kind of plan what your deck is going to do before you build it. If that makes sense. Like as as a Lily player, you want to figure out like what weapon am I going to upgrade into or like Am I going to use spells? Am I going to use a weapon? Like, how am I going to fight things? How am I going to investigate? And you usually have, like, a vision in mind, at least once you gain some experience in the game. But I I can see initially how players could feel like that's a very daunting task to figure out what to upgrade into and have it feel impactful. Yeah, I I would agree. If you're, I mean, the meat and potatoes of, is killing monsters and gathering clues and so i tend to favor cards that help me do that if i'm upgrading and i think there are a, you know quite a few cards in the game that are very uh much more oriented to you know combo players or you know well if you get x y and z on the table the fun begins and in my experience arkham is not really designed with combo play in mind And so if you're trying to assemble elaborate combos and you're buying cards that try to, you know, well, you know, it's going to be awesome if this situation arises. I mean, that's why I think lockpicks is one of the greatest cards they've ever printed. I mean, for what is it? One XP. 
Well, it's for good for people like to be picky. One XP and you get to discover clues. Like, what can you ask for? At a like for most investigators can who can use it a seven or an eight and it costs one XP. So for two XP, you've basically solved your clue gathering for the rest of the campaign. There's a lot of cards that for how big an effect they have in the game, their experience cost doesn't really match that. Like for the Bless and Curse stuff that came out with Innsmith, there's a lot of cards that deal with Bless and Curse, but a two experience covenant is gonna change dramatically how you interact with those tokens more than any of the big XP cards are. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking of a card like Ever Vigilant too, I think fits in the example of a card like Lockpicks, where that that card like fundamentally changes how you play your Guardian decks. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that card is so good. <laughs> yeah, like I think every class has has cards like that, that, you know, they don't cost as much as, say, the flashy lightning guns or you know, in in the case of Dunwich Legacy, I mean, they they printed Monster Slayer, which costs five XP, and you'd think, well, this is going to be, I'm going to put this in my deck, and it's going to be amazing. And yet, it's, I mean, as I think we said when we reviewed it, it's like if you're adding this card to your deck, you're actively making your deck worse than you would if you had spent that XP somewhere else. But that that comes with experience. That's not something I would expect. You know, if you're brand new to the game. And you're presented with all of, you know, the the gamut of cards from 1 XP to 5 XP. And, you know, it takes experience to sort of figure out, okay, which cards are going to give me the best bang for my buck and which cards are sort of just not, not all they're cracked up to be. And, and I think that's why, you know, when we do our card reviews, sometimes it's it's hard to evaluate some of those higher XP cards because their effects can seem very flashy, but it's tough to see how they're actually going to work in, in play. And I've been surprised by some of them. You know, it's just like initially it's like, well, this doesn't actually do a whole lot. But then you actually sit down and play with it and you start to see, oh, well, this is actually having a, a pretty important effect on how the game is played. It's it's subtle. But it's it is making a big impact. Yeah, I think a good example that we had reviewed earlier was uh, Seeking Answers. I think that's a card that doesn't seem very powerful at first glance. But then once you sort of learn the play patterns of the game, you really start to see the utility in a card like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think I think what ultimately hampers people's experience with the experience system is just sort of learning what you need to upgrade into because the game is punishing if you like don't get your if you don't get your clues fast enough if you aren't able to kill enemies you're not going to do well and you know honestly i think a lot of the the, the level 0 cards i think there's you know people i think they have it in their minds that if it's a level 0 card it is somehow not as good as a card that costs xp but once you gain some experience i think I don't think that's necessarily true. There are a lot of level zero cards that are as good, if not better, than any XP that you could add to your deck and will serve you well long into a campaign. I'd agree. I don't think I've ever seen someone take Dr. Milan out of a deck. No. Mm-hmm. Or a card like Flashlight or, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it, it works. It's hey. good and it works. Yeah, even something like unexpected courage, you know, which seems very innocuous, 
and yeah. like kind of a throwaway card, but you end up just holding on to it because it's just generally useful. Yeah, and uh, you can't uh, you can't get rid of the fun factor of saying, "Hey, I just spent five exp on a lightning gun or whatever," so I guarantee will not draw it. I mean, that's that's always a fun chuckle around the table. Well, thankfully. The designers, I think, had enough foresight to see that, and they did at least give you prepared for the worst in the same box until you whiff. And then once you whiff and that they, card, that's when you feel terrible. <laughs> or you draw an auto fail, then you're like, oh, this game. Yeah, that happens too. That's There's like, always no, going to be stuff like that. Just the way the game works metaphysically. If you accept your fate in Circle and Done, you get the Tower and Ace of Rods. You will see the tower in seven scenarios and the ace of rods in two. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think there's this there's there's a weird thing that goes on with Arkham, and and this has happened to be several games where you you pick up a card because you feel like well this card is essential to me beating this scenario, and then you beat the scenario without ever seeing that card. And I sort of feel like people put too much stock in in some of the cards like well i cannot win unless i draw x and then you never draw x but then you beat the scenario anyway and you're like oh well maybe i don't need x or x isn't as essential as i thought it was yeah i I think part of that too is you shouldn't build your decks to be solely reliant on one single card you know like your your deck should be able to at least do something with any five cards that it's given even if it's just like investigate with a skill card, like that's at least getting a clue off the table, which is pretty good in solo, especially. But I don't know. I, I think it's just, it's one of those things that you just have to kind of you either like it or you don't. And if you don't like it, then it's going to feel very punishing. But if you like it, then you you start to explore the the creative aspects of like knowing when to upgrade into what. I think there there is a point where certain certain decks especially guardians they're gonna need that big weapon especially if you're playing in three or four player you know so it it comes with that kind of ebb and flow like when do i save my experience to buy that lightning gun so that it does make the most impact do i wait until i have all of my other cards that facilitate my engine or do i get the gun now you know and i think that's another aspect that could be explored a lot more too you bring up a good point, Nate. I think synergy, building a deck for synergy with the cards that you have available to you is definitely far more important than relying on the one single card to be your end-all, be-all. Because there's a lot of things that can happen. There are, there are encounter cards that completely remove like a particular card from your deck and all copies that match the name. And then what? what do you do if you were counting on that to be your main yeah, I mean, it's just Murphy's combo. Law, right? So, so yeah, I think building your deck for synergy based on your investigator's abilities is definitely, once you gain a little more experience with the game, is the way at least to, to get a more consistent play experience versus trying to find that one card that you spend a lot of experience on just to have the one thing happen. That's the tough thing. You play the game for fun. And you you know you want to win, so consistency is fun, but you still really want to get a flamethrower. <laughs> well, thankfully, a flamethrower is a good investment. Always. And Arkham... No matter what you're playing. I think Arkham does a pretty good job of making even the lower XP cards and the consistency cards at least still fun to play. 
Like I, I, I could criticize other games like Magic. I think for me as a good example, I think that fetch lands in Magic, yes, they make your deck more consistent, but they just slow the pace of the game down. And if you've ever played competitive Magic with fetch lands in it, oh, just God, yeah. watching your opponent shuffle for five minutes is, you know, it just really drags the game to a crawl, and it just becomes less fun. Not unfun, but less fun. Wait a second. Wait a second. You know what would be the perfect setting for Fetchlands in Arkham? Arkham Horror. Boom. (laughs) Yeah, that just happened. So before we go into Community (laughs) Spotlight and Trivia, the beard, I have one last question for you and for the community at large. And it's what advice would you give to aspiring uh, content creators that want to create scenarios? Uh, that's a tough question. I'd say it's better to just commit to something and try it than to than to just rework it endlessly in your head. It, even if you don't think something will work 100%, just put it down, test it, and see where it goes from there. Testing is the ultimate judgment of whether things work or not. Not, mm. not just the concept in your head, not how it looks, not... Uh, how these interactions might theoretically work together. Just throw it together, give it a quick test, and hope for the best. But it's it's just kind of encouraging you to just try it, even if you think it's it's silly, even if you don't think it fits Harkham 100%. Who cares? It's still your creation. You're, you're the one who want it more than anybody else. So just do it. spotlight not so much just uh go try whatever the cost campaign because i mean literally eight to 16 people each month are taking the time to jot down just a little recap of their adventure and so you have a one in eight or a one in 16 chance of winning uh 50 to 100 dollars worth of arkham stuff sent to you for free so definitely check that out if you have time uh, I am ready for trivia on my end if you are all set. And of course, the beard, you are welcome to join for this, of course. Excellent. Yes. Oh, well, uh, you know, the, the sad person here is going to be Vase because now he's going to get zero. <laughs> 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 well, uh, if it'll make you feel better, if anyone plays trivia and feels like you deserve something, Please write to carolfernthebotanist at gmail.com where Vase may or may not feel guilty and send you... I will, I will get those emails if they write to carolfern at the botanist. I said carolfern the botanist. It's I didn't Carolyn, say at Carolyn, the botanist. Carolyn Fern, the botanist. See, I gave you an out. <laughs> I gave you a way that you wouldn't get those emails like you did all those fish and chip pictures. <laughs> now you're going to get them. You're welcome. Well, well, now was... I'm getting a lot of extended, like extended warranty insurance. <laughs> Why don't you just get Carol for the botanist? Also, that way they both come to you anyway. Mm. Oh, boom! Dropping the mic. All right, here we go. Tonight's trivia will focus on quotes. These are all quotes off of cards. 
And I can't remember how many I have, but there's several. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. 15. The last picture was of my um, furnace filter, uh, which I had to go to the store and get a new one. Not very exciting. All right, here we go. If you blow that thing one more time, I'm going to make you eat it. Oh, I know that one. That's right, Whistle. It is right, Whistle. Tyler Gotch in there with one point. Kicking butt. All right. Next. No stone unturned, no ancient treasure left behind. No stone unturned? Yeah, I said... No stone unturned, no ancient treasure left behind. Yeah, I'm saying like the card, no stone unturned. Yeah, I know. I was just having fun with you. That's not correct. Damn it. <laughs> Too easy. Anybody else? Um, unearth the ancients. Ooh, not a bad guess. We'll go to half point range for this one. Uh, it is a colorless permanent. Relic Hunter? Ooh. Rick. Half point. Yeah, half point. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next. Yeah. I told you. Next card. You pry it out of the corpse's hand. It's not like he's going to complain. Uh, is that scrounge for supplies? That is another point. All right, Sick. he's not allowed to play anymore. <laughs> Next, here we go. I feel I'm about to have sudden connection issues. Yeah, well, you know, I had the same thing in high school, but you get through the awkward stages of Dayton. The true <laughs> journey is the one we take in our minds. Oh, I know this one, but I can't remember what it is. Well, that's pretty good. You just need to say a little more than that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I am having a huge brain fart in all these cards oh, man, tonight. Uh, lucid, is it lucid dreaming or lucid dreams? Which one? Pick one of those. Isn't I mean, there's only one card called that, right? Oh, which one? Lucid dreaming or lucid dream? Lucid dreaming. Okay, it's neither of those. I just wanted to see what you'd say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, for a half point, it is a five cost event. Uh, secret card. Deciphered reality? Oh, good guess. And time's up. Join the caravan. Only oh, the best caravan. five cost event ever. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah, well, if you're picking cards that people played, we might have a hope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm trying to speak over the sound of salt being poured. Uh, Next one. Sometimes the only way out is through. Daring maneuver? No, not Think on your feet? Dynamite. I'll give you, without reducing the points, because this is a tough one, think on your feet... is kind of close because it does deal with the foot in a way. I know the name of the card. Do you? Then say it out loud. (laughs) Is it hiking boots? 
The answer is toe to toe, which has a really badass huh. picture to it, by the way. Oh, that's a card you Don't should worry. know, man, from Lang. You played that I know. Card. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's my bad. I should know that one. I don't know if you're being facetious. Next one. Here we go. You don't necessarily trust the occult words, but you have no other choice. You don't necessarily trust the occult words. You have no other choice. Hmm. Abyssal tome. Mm, Winging it. <laughs> that, does, that does not make sense. All right. For a half point, it is a mystic card. Two costs asset. And the answer is healing words. Oh, come on. No one plays that. What is this? Wow. Okay. First of all, rude, because now I'm going to play it in every mystic deck going (laughs) forward. All right. Next one. This one will be easier to get. You whiny little shit. All right. Keep moving. You can die on your own time. Oh. Um. That's a Leo card. Um. Did you did you get my Venmo payment this week or what? What is going on here? <laughs> I clearly I'm just going to go with Leo Anderson. Correct. Oh. <laughs> what the hell is even that? It's, it's not only a Leo card, it is the Leo it is card. The Leo card. <laughs> <laughs> he said that. He said that and I'm like yeah, it's like that sounds like something Dracula would do. That is what Dracula would. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was hot. I didn't know where that would go. All right, here we go. You're doing great. Next card. We make our own fate. We make our own fate. So, like the gold pocket watch? Deny existence? No, my mom tried to do that before I was born. For a half a point, this is a uh, survivor card. One cost event. Alter fate. Correct. Yeah. Nate, half point. Nice one. Nate, you're up to a point. Yes. <laughs> Let's go. Nice. Oh, Venmo payment just came through. I like this quote a lot in this next one. You want me to bless what? Uh, enchant weapon. Custom ammunition. Custom ammunition vase. Ah, vase. Mikhail uh, cards. Oh, come on. Oh, God. You had to say it. This next one's a card that everybody here has probably played. A lens into a world unseen can reveal things you wish it hadn't. Magnifying glass? Yeah. Okay, I don't don't know who said it because you were all like, scrambling over each other's corpses to get to that one. I think Nate started saying it before I did. Okay, so Nate, point. The beard, point. Next card. They claimed it would bring me good luck. I wouldn't say that's true, but now I feel like it would be even worse luck to get rid of it. Lucky Lucky rabbit's rabbit's foot. foot. All right. I think I heard man from Lang. Yep. Who else did I hear? Me. You heard okay, vase in your head. 
<laughs> Did I hear bass? No. Negative two points. All right. Not the voice in your head. It's the face in your head. <laughs> uh, face on your head. You're doing good. We're almost done. Uh, next card. I knew I had seen this symbol before. I must warn the others before it is too late. Very often used card. Working a hunch? I knew I had seen this symbol before. I must warn the others before it is too late. I go to a half point. Core box seeker card. Working a hunch? Are you just going to say the same damn card over again? Disc of its omna? Working a hunch. All right. (laughs) Excellent job, everybody. You were lucky enough to avoid that one. That was deduction. Nobody plays that card. (laughs) I almost feel like that's your tag phrase if you were like a cartoon character. Nobody plays that card. All right. Next one. Do your country proud, everybody. Here we go. (laughs) Do they fear it because of what it will do to them? Or do they fear it because of what it will do to you? I think that one actually is Disc of its Omna. That is correct. (laughs) (laughs) I feel so bad because it's bad for me. It's like Disc of its Omna last one and this one it was. Uh, I was hoping you were going to get it, man. No. That's okay. I don't know what the quote is on Disc of its Omna. It was just a guess. I mean, I had no clue either until, you know, I'm doing it. Then I get to do the Alex Trebek. I'm smarter than everybody because I know the answer. But really, he was just reading off of stuff. And then uh, just for a bonus thing here, I've actually taken a picture of my furnace filter. I will start the quote. You can finish it. 19 and 5 eighths inches by 9 and 5 eighths inches times 25, 32 or 32nd inches. What does that translate to in overall size? Wait, what? Correct. The answer is 20 by 20 by 1. And I got the midline filter, which is good for allergens. I didn't want to go the really expensive <laughs> route. Uh, so, all right. Good job, everybody. Here we have the final scores. Uh, the Beard, four. Man for Blaine, two. Face, technically Wait, I zero. got two? Yeah, you got two. What Base. was the other one? <laughs> wow, okay. You know what? <laughs> 2.5, just to be a smartass. Face, technically zero, because I gave you a negative two, but I'll put you back to two. Nate, oh, three. So our overall winner from, I want to say, the great state of Michigan? That is correct. I am from Michigan. Is the beard? Yeah, good job. My cat's looking at me like, why are you clapping above my head? Well, that's right. You're a black cat. It's okay. All right. Congratulations, everybody, and thanks for playing. We always let the guests win. It just seems polite. Yeah. I appreciate you guys taking a dive for me. (laughs) (laughs) Those are all so easy, Nathan. The most we can do. Well, I think that's going to do it for tonight's episode, unless anyone else has uh, has anything they want to say before we close out the episode. I uh, know. I think Nathan already got his Home Depot sponsorship in. Yeah, we're Ooh. still waiting on the uh, the Taco Bell sponsorship. 
hell yeah. Yeah. Vase and well, I are we would be we yeah. would be remiss if we didn't mention there is an expansion coming out called the Scarlet Keys. Yes. And they released the at least the uh they released the box art which includes the investigators. There are going to be six in the box and I think we know the identities of three or four of them. Yeah. Yep. Four of them. Carson Sinclair, the butler, uh, the photographer whose name escapes me for the moment. Daryl Simmons. Daryl Simmons, hey. Charlie Don't Kane, the Kane, yeah. entrepreneur. Citizen Kane again. <laughs> who's the last one? Vincent Lee, the doctor. Vincent Lee, the doctor. Right. Oh, uh, so a new investigator for vase to play. Nice. Cause we all know that he's going to be Carolyn's healing counterpart. Presumably. Presumably. I'd, I'd be highly surprised if he isn't different in some ways. I know they like just trying new ideas. Yeah. Yeah, I hope, yeah, he's, I hope he's not just a carbon copy of Carolyn, for sure. But he wouldn't do that. You he can does. cut off limbs for bonus points. Start hacking away at someone's arm. I've always wondered, like, how does, how does Tommy get resources out of people dying and going back into his deck? I've never really understood that. Is that what he's doing? He's just carving them up and... Like putting them, putting them into cadavers. Is that what's oh going on? Oh my god! This is not what's going to happen. But can you imagine, like a Victor Frankenstein, uh, Doctor Lee card, where his special ability is he can like hack up bodies and reconstruct them to make zombies to send, uh, <laughs> you know, to kind of be monsters for us. That's like then basically a awesome. reanimator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be so good. <laughs> yeah, Herbert West. Oh. Uh, that would be awesome. Oh, good. So many options. And who, if, who is it that's working on the um, the horror fan-made stuff? I forget. Uh, and that's bugging me now. Because he's doing all the old-school horror things with Ash. And I want to say the reanimator. Gary. Gary something. I'll find out. Continue talking. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, if Nathan remembers to actually link it to me. Uh, but, but before we close the episode out, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to our Patreon. You smart. You loyal. You grateful. Throughout the months as we continue to come out with these episodes and scenario reviews and operation reviews, which we've unfortunately had a, a bit of a hiccup with personal things, but hoping to get back into the swing of it over the next few months. And I think with that, we'll wrap out the episode. I have Gary Walker. What? (laughs) (laughs) Gary Walker has been your host tonight. I am Nate lost in time and space and joined with me this evening was. I'm man from Lang host of the whisper in darkness, YouTube channel. I am innkeeper vase Odin from the twisted tentacle Inn. And uh, let's talk about Gary Walker for a second, because I kind of feel like you shut me up on that one. He made Jack the Ripper a scandal in Whitechapel, and this is a fan-made focus. Okay, uh, this has been Nathan, the past the tangent all the time uh, co-host. And this is the beard going back to my laboratory of madness. Anything else I should know? Um, 
I guess you could call me a liar because I technically don't have a beard right now because of my <laughs> traitor. That's <laughs> okay. A mustache, if it's any consolation, I just can't have okay. a beard while working in fresh food. We'll let it slide this one time. <laughs> <laughs> Very gracious of you. Unlike Nate, Nate can't grow a beard because he's twelve. <laughs> 